Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. All right. Well, good morning, church family. I see so many new faces, so many people that I don't know. Uh, my name is Andy Thomason. I'm the missions pastor here at Wildwood Church, and we do have something uh, a, a little bit unusual for you this morning, uh, as, as Pastor Andrew alluded to just a little bit earlier. Not something we normally do on a Sunday morning, um, but in just a few moments, you're going to have a, an opportunity to hear from our uh, team that just came back from Haiti, uh, and we're going to share stories from that, what we saw, what we experienced. I want you to know that uh, Pastor Andrew and I did absolutely nothing this week to collaborate on the songs or what I was going to say this morning as, as, as uh, the Lord has uh, given me the passage to preach this morning uh, following our Roman series. Uh, there was no collaboration there, but as we were worshiping together just now and singing those songs, uh, in, in His Mercy is More, I want you to take that line that we, that we sung and file it away in the back of your mind when it says, Praise the Lord, his mercy is more stronger than darkness, new every morn, because that is going to become very relevant in just a few minutes as we get a little further into those stories and what we saw and what we experienced there in Haiti. I want to draw your attention before we get started. If you'll go back to your bulletin, uh, you'll notice there was an insert. And uh, I'm going to pull this graphic. Thank you, Miss Beth. Right here, you'll see this on your bulletin insert. Many of you have been asking me, have been coming to me and asking for this information. What this shows us is these are the remaining four short-term mission trips that we have available uh, for 2023, for the remainder of this calendar year. Uh, in June, uh, we'll be taking a trip to Galveston, Texas to work with one of our ministry partners there called Gum Galveston Urban Ministries. Uh, and then you'll see below that we have two teams that are going to pee on Haiti in July. That's where the survey team just came back from. And then in November, uh, we'll be headed to Nanyuki, Kenya to work with Sagira Mission, another one of our uh, ministry partners. So many of you have been asking me, well, who's going on these trips? Who, who, who are going? And so here are the rosters for those trips. The only, the only one that could change potentially is uh, Kenya. Um, that roster has not been finalized yet, but there are other three are already locked in. So please use this information. Hang on to it. Uh, we we uh, ask you to pray for our teams as, as they go. There are a lot of obstacles. You're going to hear some of that this morning when we talk to the team about what were some of the obstacles that you encountered. What did you find difficult to face? Okay, so we appreciate your prayers uh, as we continue taking the gospel all around the world for the glory of Jesus. Now, with that being said, I also want to make another announcement this morning. Uh, I've, I've talked in some small part about uh, our missions committee and how the missions committee here at Wildwood over the past years we've made uh, taken some some huge steps towards elevating the role of our missions committee and there are a number of different areas in which uh, which that is 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 coming to fruition and one of those particular positions this morning uh, I'm excited to introduce to you uh, our new director uh, of missions communication Okay, that is a volunteer position. It's not, not a paid position. But uh, on our missions committee, uh, Ms. Taylor Rosales, I'm going to ask her to go ahead and come up. So Taylor will be, will be handling everything uh, for our missions committee in terms of making sure that you, you can, yes, please, that you as the church are aware of and informed of who our missionaries are, who we're supporting, where our dollars are going, uh, how we are taking the gospel around the world. That all fall under, falls under uh, Taylor's purview, okay? So uh, with that being said, at her first act as Director of Missions Communication, is she's going to conduct the interview for our team. So I'm gonna ask our team to come up this morning, and I promise this was not planned either, that we all wore the same shirt. I walked in and I saw Bob had it on. I was like, really? And then there was Stacy and I was like, really? And Alberto was actually the only one that didn't, but we found him one. So he wouldn't feel left out. All right, Taylor. Hello, can you hear me? There it comes. Before we begin the interview, I just wanted to um, take the opportunity to kind of introduce you guys to um, a new document that we have now available in the table right behind the... Um, Welcome Center in the um, Fireside Room. So this is a document that has all of our currently supported missionaries. There are six pages, it's a lot. We have a lot of missionaries as it turns out. Uh, there's a little intro about them and then a QR code to take you to some more information on their personal pages. So if you have a chance to sneak out there later today and grab one of those, if you're interested, please go ahead and do so. All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, 
do we have the slides available? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. perfect. So the first question I wanna kinda just go down the line here is, um, can you tell me what was the most comfortable thing and the most uncomfortable thing for you while you were serving down in Haiti? Sure. Bonjour. That means good morning. Uh, Creole is very close to French, but it's not French, get that straight. But anyway, uh, one of the things I liked, of course, was uh, uh, just serving, being able to do physical work. Um, uh, I was able to, something as simple as fixing the screen doors that were flapping open all the time. It was not a big deal, but it was pretty irritating. But uh, just by moving a spring over, making it tighter, just something, uh, I was able to get a compressor to work for the dentist. Uh, hopefully it's still working. We'll find out in July. Um, anyway, one of the, the cool parts, though, about uh, doing the physical work, we had a big shipping container. I mean, we're talking semi, flatbed semi size, 53 foot, uh, that we unload. It took hours to do, uh, but we worked alongside with uh, the people there, and though we, a lot of them we couldn't speak the same language, but we had a common goal was to get that unloaded, and that was enjoyable and made friends. One guy's name was James. He introduced himself. He didn't know English very well, but we worked alongside each other and unloaded that. Uh, Andy was in the, jumped right into the container and got in there with everybody in there. Um, another thing was pouring the cement floor. Uh, basically, we just handled, had assembly line and all of us were in there alongside the uh, workers there and we just uh, had buckets of cement and poured it into a, uh, well, call a home, more like a hut, but anyway, a cement hut, but anyway, uh, uh, it's very important to have cement floors because uh, the kids are barefoot and when they're in, in dirt floors, they get ringworm. And thanks to John, John down there building houses and putting cement floors in, uh, he's cut down the cases of ringworm tremendously. And one of the things I was not comfortable with as much was uh, being with the kids, the small kids in the classroom environment. Um, I felt really awkward in there, and I think when I was watching the kids, all I could think is, why is that white guy up there sweating so bad? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't even that hot to them. None of them were sweating yet because it was their cool season area, and, and I was sweating. I didn't think there was any air movement in there. But anyway, that was the, nothing against the kids, but that was not comfortable for me. Real, real quick, if I can interject for just one second. Miss Beth, can we go ahead and pull up that, that first slide? Uh, here's Bob mixing the concrete there at the, at the day we lay the cement floor um, in that house. You can see it's just a simple block home, uh, maybe about 200 square feet. And uh, there was the unloading of the shipping container. Uh, to, to reiterate the point that Bob made, uh, the, the, the priority of, of laying that cement floor um, in those houses, you can tell the house was not finished was because, as Bob, as Bob talked about, there is a high, high um, infection rate of tapeworms among children because they're sleeping directly on that dirt, earthen dirt floor. Uh, so, so UCI, the organization that we partner with, has made it a priority even before the house is finished to make sure that that floor, uh, that cement floor is poured. And they, uh, they said as a result, they have seen the uh, tapeworm infections go way, way down. So uh, yeah, so that, that, that was a great day. Really enjoyed that. Alberta. Uh, similar to uh, Bob, uh, one of the most comfortable areas to serve uh, down there in Haiti was doing the manual labor, the physical labor, um, getting to work alongside with them and you know, having that common goal to, to complete that work. Uh, another area that I, I was actually surprised that I was uh, comfortable in was actually uh, the teaching with the kids, um, being in there with the preschoolers. <laughs> Uh, I actually kind of taught myself how to count in Creole by teaching the kids how to count just because they're three-year-olds, so they don't really know how to count yet. So I cheated and learned, taught myself Creole while teaching them. Um, and then uh, one of the hardest things to do while I was down there was doing the door-to-door uh, the -door evangelism that we did one of the days. Um, we were doing some food distribution, and uh, it was, this is my first time ever doing that, so... I was very nervous just to begin with to even do that, and then on top of that, there was a, a language barrier there where we had to talk to a translator to, you know, speak speak the word to them. So we had to, had to coordinate like, am I going to talk? Are you going to talk? Or we had to kind of coordinate that. So we, sometimes you get thrown off. So for already being nervous, it was throwing me off like how do we were going to coordinate that. So that was uh, pretty difficult to do. 
So where I felt the most comfortable was actually in the classrooms also teaching English to the kids. That just kind of seemed natural for me. So that was, that was where I felt comfortable. I also felt the opposite, or I felt the same as Alberto when it came to evangelizing. It was the first time that I had ever done it, and it was just the translation barrier, having to say a few words and then stop and keeping track of what your thought was to go back. So that's where I was a little bit more uncomfortable. Uh, I echo Bob's sentiment. The three and four-year-olds were not comfortable for me. <laughs> I had a three-year-old, but it was still, uh, it wasn't my three-year-old, so it was still uncomfortable. Um, the most comfortable I think we didn't even get a chance to do, and that would have been probably talking to more of the high school students, college students. UCI has a university there. Um, the very first day we arrived, we got a chance to talk to a couple kids who were in the uh, um, seminary school there. So that was kind of cool, but then the rest of the week we were just so busy, we didn't really get a chance to go back to that, but that probably would have been my, my most comfortable moment. And we have a photo uh, of one of Aaron teaching in the classrooms. He did a really, a really good job uh, with the preposition. They, they asked us to come in and teach prepositions, and we're like, what's a, prep what's a preposition? <laughs> you know, uh, we had to Google it. Do you have that, that photo, Miss Beth? Um, there, it's a couple of back. You'll see one Aaron in a classroom teaching. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. Okay. Yes. Um, so the next question, Bob, I'm going to ask you, and then Andy, I'm going to come over to have you answer it as well. Um, how would you say that this experience has helped shape um, uh, shaped your, your view of God's love for all peoples of the world? One of the uh, most impactful parts that I can remember um, when we went to the, the church, was that Jean-Pierre? Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. Uh, Debu was the, the pastor there. First thing he said was how happy he was to see us. Uh, and how important it was that we were there to spread the gospel. Um, but in everything that come out was just, I could sense the burden on his heart. He said, pray for our country, pray for Haiti. They've been without a president, it's probably going almost two years now. He was assassinated, if you remember that. They have not replaced him yet with a permanent president. Uh, Port-au-Prince is in chaos. It's run by gangs, basically, right now. It's a place you don't go to if you don't have to in the main city part. Um, but he just... He loves his country, he loves his people. I could sense that, it was a great burden on his heart. I really felt for him there that he uh, really wants us to pray for him. He wants his country to heal, to get a president. So keep that in your prayers. And also we went to another uh, village, this is when we handed food out. The uh, village, he was a pastor I believe too, uh, at that village, but he went with us as we handed out food. But he, they don't have a church building, but, uh, his passion, you could just sense, was that he wanted his community, his village, to know Jesus. It was so important for him. And we went to a vacation Bible school that they had going on there with kids, and they just kept showing up. I think we had over 80 kids there. Yeah, it was 100, yeah. It, they just kept coming. Now, of course, they were getting food there, which is important. That's a big part. Some of them were there probably for that, of course, but still, they they were hungry for the word. And I just remember uh, Joe East, he was one of our translators, and he had this memorized, and, and Pastor Andy had us going through Philippians at our debriefs at night. We were just taking turns going through it, and that lesson for that night was Philippians 2, and I was going to just present that when we would read it and then talk about it and discuss it. Well, there, <laughs> Joe's memory verse for the kids was Philippians 2, 10 to 11. It says uh, that by Christ, every knee will bow, bow, everyone in heaven, all those in earth, all those under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And he had that memorized. The kids had it memorized. And that was the verse we were going to, one of the, part of the verse we were going to cover that night. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Amen. I saw one of the things that stood out for me as far as a, a tangible representation of the way that God provides is the day Alberta was talking about a moment ago, the day we went out to do the door-to-door -door evangelism. It was in a, in a, uh, in a village, a community, uh, kind of in the rural part of the country. And, uh, uh, Bob, Stacy and myself were together, Alberto and, and Aaron had, had gone off with another translator, uh, interpreter. And so the three of us, Bob, Stacy and I were together at this one home and there was a man there who was blind. 
And as we began to talk to him and Bob shared the gospel with him, uh, he, he's telling us, he's like, he said, I, I'm hungry. I'm physically hungry. And we had, we had brought food to distribute as we were sharing the gospel. And we had already given it to his wife. And when he said, he said, I'm hungry, I was like, we just gave her food. I was like, why doesn't she start cooking it? And it, fortunately, she already had. She had already gone in and begun uh, to prepare the food that, that we had brought. And I said, I said, sir, I said, do you see how, um, how God has provided for you today? I was like, we, we've come from, from about 3,000 miles away and, and to, to bring this food to you. I was like, this is the Lord providing for you. This is the Lord. He, he is not ignorant of your needs. He is not ignorant uh, of, of, of what your body needs. And, and so that, that struck me as I reflected on that more of how, uh, how God used, used this team to provide for the physical needs for people as well as the spiritual needs, which we'll get to um, in a little bit. But that was just a small representation of how God desires to use us as a church, as a whole, to meet the needs of people, both physically and spiritually, across the world. Stacey, what would you say was the hardest thing for you to face while you were in Haiti? So, one of the hardest things for me to face, wrap my head around, was um, the kids going to school. So, a family could have one to five, six kids, and they usually just pick one child to go to school and it costs $180 a year for them to go to school, when, and that ends up being half of a family's income for the year. So then, so there's that, and then at the end of the year, unlike America, they have to take an exit exam out of their grade. If they fail, they don't progress into the next grade, and most likely their family will take them out of school and put them to work because they can't afford for them to have them possibly fail again. Um, the other thing was the translators. Like I wasn't fluent at all. I learned, tried to learn a little bit of it, but that was really, really hard for me to, to do. Andy, same question. Yeah, one of the days that we were in the market, we, we, we walked through the market and arrived at a, one of the UCI uh, schools that was located in the market. and. Uh, we were teaching English classes that day, and when we wrapped that up, one of our uh, interpreters was holding a little boy in his arm, and I just presumed that it was his son. And so I, I walked up to him and I said, "I said, is this is this your little boy?" And he said, "It's my my nephew." And most of the children there are really are really just you know really uh, really happy, really joyful, and it comes out in their expressions, and they're they're loud and they play, and it just like like you know any any kids. Uh, this little boy was different. Uh, he was he was really shy. Uh, you know, I held up you know a fist to give him a fist bump, and he just kind of turned away, and he was just kind of kind of moaning. And I, and I asked our interpreter. I said I said what what's wrong with him? I said is he not feeling well? And he said he can't really focus. He can't concentrate because he's hungry. And I said no. And I, I was I was scrambling, and I and I was so upset with myself because normally I carry you know, some, some at least trail mix in my backpack and I had nothing. And it broke my heart that this little boy, uh, three, four years old, maybe, um, couldn't even focus, couldn't even concentrate at school because he was hungry because he had not eaten. And I have no idea how long. So that was the hardest thing for me, for sure. Uh, Stacy and then Alberto, um, <clears throat> how would you say that this experience has caused you to view your own life differently? So... I've realized after getting back home that it, it was really, it was a hard transition for me to come back home. Um, just all the simple things that we have, the luxuries, um, food. We can go to our cupboard, we can go to our refrigerator. If there's nothing there, we go to the store. If there's nothing there, we want to go out to eat. We, we have all those things that we can, places we can go to eat or get food. Um, washing. I caught myself just putting clothes in the wash machine and waiting for it to go off so I can put it in the dryer and then to get it out. Um, they don't have that. They take it to the river or they and they wash everything by hand or there's a wash basin that they have to wash their laundry in. Um, simply driving. I Taking my kids to school, like they walk to school or they ride a small little motorcycle, three or four kids deep on it, which is frightening to see. <laughs> but um, it's just all the luxuries that we have here in America that they don't have. 
Uh, so coming back from Haiti, uh, there were three things that we kind of did immediately. Some of them kind of what, uh, some of the reasons were kind of what uh, Stacy was talking about. But uh, one of the first things that we did was um, uh, during our worship time with the kids, um, while I was away, Taylor purchased some stuff and, and set up our wall um, to have a, a picture of the map. And then on the map, we labeled all the areas that have where we support missionaries at or do like a sponsor a kid. And so then now we introduced a worship session or portion to our worship time, at uh, our daily worship time. And we talk about, we pick one of the missionaries or one of the kids to talk about them for the month and then talk about how important it is for them to be there or for us to support them and just ask them questions. You know, right now they're simple questions, but as they grow, we'll get those little thought-provoking questions down the road. Uh, a second way that we, um, um, we changed, or what we did that we changed immediately was um, uh, we looked at our finances and, and kind of like what I said, Stacy was uh, talking about, just seeing all that extra luxury that we kind of have of like, having multiple streaming services, for example, to watch the same movie four different ways. <laughs> and so um, one of the things that we immediately cut off was like a Hulu Live, like that was kind of an example of a easy um, thing to cut out. To, and then uh, we also increased our giving to uh, missions um, as part of, uh, you know, changing, looking at our finances. And then the um, third way that I um, uh, changed was uh, being in the missions committee, we were um, asked to look at all the mobilizer roles. Um, and, um, I looked at them many times prior to Haiti. Nothing was really kind of jumping off the page at me. Um, coming back from Haiti, we were asked again to review them because everybody, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for months. And so I've been dragging my feet because nothing really spoke to me. And then coming back from uh, the trip, though, uh, the global mobilizer was the one that kind of really jumped out to me. I was like, being in Haiti, I, I learned how important it is for people to go to these short-term trips to be exposed to some of these things and um, also learned how great it is for us to be there for the long-term missionaries to kind of give them a change of pace for the day. Because I, I even talked to Jean John one of the days, I was like, how are you not exhausted all the time? Because I know we'd get home and, and we'd just be tired. We'd just mm -hmm. like all crash and, he's, and he does it every single day. There's like really no break for him. So I was... All those things that I knew he probably liked that us coming down just kind of give him that small break from that day to day. All right, um, Aaron, could you tell us what was the one thing that you experienced that stood out most? Uh, this one was easy for me um, because while we were there, we gained a new sister in Christ, and her name's Natalie. Um, we were delivering food, like Andy had mentioned earlier. And uh, me and Alberto were kind of walking with the translator as we were going door to door. And the translator kind of said, hey, you guys are about to split up. You're going to go to one house. Alberto, you're going to go to the other house. And me and Alberto were just talking. And I was like, man, every single house that we've gone to, we've shared the gospel. We've, we've kind of given food. We, we talked about Christ. And, and at the end, we kind of asked some questions. And, and one of the questions is, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Every single house we were at, uh, it was yes, yes, yes. I go to church. I, I know the Lord. I know Jesus. And so I just told Alberto, I said, man, what would it be like if somebody just looked at us and said no? Like, what, would, what would we do? What would we say? We split up. We go to a, a, a house you know, by ourselves, and this lady stares at me. And when I ask the question, she says, no, I don't, I don't know who Jesus is. And so um, one thing that really... Um, as obviously I'm going to remember uh, forever, is um, I've never actually shared the gospel with somebody who wants to hear it. I've never shared the gospel with somebody who's accepted it. Mm -hmm. And so I've been a Christian for 20 years, and this is the first time that somebody has actually um, gone through and said, yes, I want that. I want what you have. And so um, I was able to talk to Natalie. Uh, we shared John 3 with her, John 3, uh, 32 through 35, um, talking about Jesus giving um, a spiritual food that, um, they're never going to go hungry again. They're never going to go thirsty again with Jesus. And so um, we gave her some food, and, and I talked through the gospel with her. Uh, she said she wants to believe. And so um, the big challenge for Natalie is uh, moving forward is that she doesn't know how to read. Um, and so uh, luckily Andy had a Haitian Creole Bible in his backpack. I was able to, to steal off of him. And, um, 
It went to a good cause. It, yes. yes. Um, but her neighbor actually knew uh, how to speak Haitian Creole and read Haitian Creole. So I gave the neighbor the Bible, and uh, the two of them can now uh, fellowship with each other, and she's going to start going to church. So uh, praise God for Natalie becoming a Christian. Um, and that was one time or one moment during the trip that I think uh, God really used me for. And Miss, Miss Beth, in, in our slides, you should see a slide with four people together um, with Aaron. There it is. So that's Natalie on the far left. Um, the, the young lady in the red shirt was one of our interpreters named Anita and uh, uh, one of our other interpreters there on, on the right. Um, they uh, they uh, did a great job in helping us uh, share the gospel with these people. And, and so that's Natalie there holding her Haitian Creole Bible. So. Bob, could you answer the same question, please? One thing that stood out. The one thing... Uh, one of the several things that stuck out, but one that stuck out was just uh, the um, religion that they have. There is voodoo. Uh, they have witch doctors. Now, you can't tell a witch doctor from anyone else. They didn't dress differently or anything like that there. But they are, they're feared, they're respected, um, and it's demonic. Uh, it really is. Uh, there's no denying that. Um, once they get into the voodoo, they do make money off of it, but they have to give money to a master that's, I don't want to say a chain, but it's a thing where the, it, once you are in that lifestyle, it's very hard to get out of. You actually sign a contract, and, and once that contract's done, to them, I mean, the master says that you are, will die when the contract's over, unless you renew it. So most of the witch doctors renew it, so they don't want to die. Uh, what we find out, and what they find out, um, is that if they know Jesus, that their curses uh, do not have an effect on people who have Jesus in their heart. Uh, as we went and, uh, and as a request by Giordani, um, Andy's gonna talk about him more in his sermon, but he was a witch doctor, and he, while we were there, he committed his life to Christ. His wife was already a Christian. We burned down his, his hut, his worship temple, if you want to call it, knocked it down, and, and he caught it on fire. He had uh, two human skulls in it. He had flags that represented demons that he could call up. He had a pole with knots on them. Those knots were curses he had put on people. Uh, and then various things in there. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me also is there was an, another witch doctor that had been converted earlier, uh, several years earlier. His name was Nelson, and he came and, and spoke at uh, UCI. And one of the things that stuck out to me was when uh, missionaries would come to, to hand him Bibles or to talk to him, he couldn't understand why he couldn't curse them. The curses did not work on the missionaries. And that's because of Jesus Christ. He's more powerful than the demons. Now, the, the voodoo does work on people who believe it. And there's a lot of people that believe it. If you believe in the, in the demons, if you believe in, in what the voodoo can do, um, it can work. It's not nothing to play with. It's, it is real. Uh, but Jesus Christ is, is more powerful. Um, he can defeat the the demons, and uh, oh, we led uh, Giordani to Christ. He committed his life, and Pastor Andy asked the right questions during that. He didn't just let it go, but he, he pursued uh, further asking Giordani, um, do you believe Jesus can forgive you of your sins? And Giordani said, yes. Well, then can you believe that he will provide for you and your family? And he said, yes. And that was the main issue with witch doctors getting out of their profession is how they make a living, how to make a living. Giordani expressed he has no skills. He didn't know how to make a living. Well, John John gave him a job to help build houses, and we committed, Andy and, and the group, that we would help uh, pay for whatever needed, needs that Giordani needed to, to get started in his, his works. 
And uh, the next day we went to, at UCI, Johnny showed up and he has started work right away. When we got back to uh, MFI in Florida, we went to Home Depot, bought tools to get him started in his masonry skill in his work and had those shipped to him. So it'll be interesting when we go back again in July, um, how he's, he's grown and, and, and see what he's, he's doing with that. Um, so yes, it, it, that was uh, very important and, and the leaders down there know how important it is to ha have uh, Christianity because it is more powerful than voodoo. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll conclude the interview right there. Uh, I wanted to speak a little bit more uh, on the story that Bob was uh, beginning to tell about a, a gentleman named Giordani. Uh, as soon as we arrived, uh, I, I can't remember if it was the exact day that we got there or maybe the day after, um, Jean Jean, the missionary there at UCI, he tells us that there is a former witch doctor that is going to come and give his testimony one night while we're there. We don't know when, we're not sure. Uh, and uh, what you have to know about, as, as Bob was starting to explain, about voodoo being the predominant religion uh, in Haiti, you have to know that voodoo is a, is a religion of, of, of syncretistic practices. And what syncretistic basically means is just whatever they want to put into it. It's a little of this and it's a little of that. If there was a one-word definition that I would give to voodoo, it's demonic. That's, that's exactly what it is, okay? These witch doctors are given very real powers to call on demons to affect change, um, up to and including killing people. And I know, I know what you're thinking because I thought the same thing. is like this sounds so incredibly strange to us in our society because we don't, we don't see this sort of intense demonic activity played out this way in, in our own culture but that doesn't mean that Satan is not attacking us and is working in our culture. He is. He just has his own strategy or a different strategy for how he steals and how he kills and how he destroys in our affluent culture. It just looks different. And so in Haiti, this, this demonic power is given to these witch doctors in exchange for their very lives. Bob alluded to there's a contract that is signed with these master witch doctors for a, a specified period of time. And when that contract runs out then the witch doctor's life is take, taken, taken away. They die. And so in our English vocabulary, this is a very literal picture of, you, you've heard the term for like to sell one soul to the devil. That's, what, that's literally what's happening here. That is exactly what is happening. So, so understanding this and, and Jean-Jean telling us that this former witch doctor is going to come and give his testimony, I went to Jean-Jean and I said, Jean-Jean, I don't know if people normally ask you this. I said, but can you take me? to meet a real, like, current practicing witch doctor? And he goes, he goes, yes. He goes, actually, I know just the place that, that we can go. The day before, he had received a call from a guy who was asking Jean-Jean to visit him, a practicing witch doctor asking Jean-Jean to visit him. And so Jean-Jean says, yes, well, I'll, I'll, Andy, I'll, I'll take you there. We'll go there. And so um, I want to show you a couple of photos before we get started. Um, if we can go ahead and bring up the next one, uh, Miss Beth. So this was us going out to that witch doctor's place that day. You can see the top left, Alberto trying to keep up with the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, um, we arrived at, uh, at the property, the, the photo on the bottom left, that's their house. That's their, their, their living house. It's, it's, it's this man and his wife, their two boys, um, and I think maybe her mother, if I understood the relationship correctly, um, all living in, in that house. It was stick, you know, mud covered over. Uh, corrugated tin roof. And then on the right side, this was a building that's just off to the left of the one you see in the photo below. Uh, but this was his voodoo worship house. This was where this witch doctor practiced his voodoo and, 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 and cast his spells and, and called upon demons and so on and so forth. And so I want you guys to, to keep in, bear in mind that, that, that this is what we're walking into. And Miss Beth, if you'll go to the next slide, I think I have a second one here. Yes, so this is on Saturday. We actually showed up, and, and he wasn't there that day on that Saturday. So his wife is kind of giving us a tour. And uh, what you see right there on the left that Aaron is looking down at, that is this chalk. We weren't sure if it was chalk or flour, but it's these voodoo symbols that are, 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 are laid out on the ground. And this is where he practices uh, these, these voodoo ceremonies. And she, that's his wife in the pink and the photo on the right. And she opens up the door and light right there on the ground, that is exactly what you think it is. 
two human skulls laying right there on the ground uh, as she opens the door. So that kind of gives you a picture of what we're talking about when we, when we walk into this situation. And I'm going to come back to this story in just a minute, but I want to take you to, to God's word. So I want you to take your Bibles and open with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And as you guys are turning there, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been in the weeks prior leading up to Easter. Uh, if you go back into Romans chapter 4, verse 24, part B, all the way up to 25, I want to read that scripture for you. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And that's the word we're going to focus in on for just a second, justification. We have been justified. And Romans chapter 4 dealt with the topic of justification extensively. Now, what is justification? Justification, we talked about, it's a legal declaration. In, in, in biblical terms, when we talk about justification, it's where God declares a person not guilty of their sin. But the question is, are we guilty of sin? Yes, yes we are, we're guilty of sin. So how is it then that God can declare us not guilty? How can we be justified? Hold that thought for just a second. Think of justification this way. When I was 19 years old, I, I moved across the country, uh, just being adventurous, moved across the country to the West Coast, and one of the first things that I, opened up, uh, that I did when I got there was open up a bank account with Wells Fargo. And the very nice, very well-meaning uh, representative at the bank uh, gave me a credit card with a $1,000 limit. And she said, it's overdraft protection. And I was like, okay, sounds great. Having zero financial awareness and zero financial accountability as a 19-year-old, how long do you think it took me to blow through that $1,000 credit limit? Quick, less than two weeks, if I remember correctly. It was not long. And so after about five months of living out on the West Coast, I, I grew really tired and really frustrated with the circumstances in life there. And, and I was just ready to come home. I was ready to come back to my home in Alabama. And I couldn't, the problem was, is I couldn't just close my bank account I, because, you know, for four months, five months, I had just been paying minimum credit card payments every single month. So it wasn't just a matter of just closing out my bank account and, and moving, moving home. As the Bible says, I was literally, I was slave to the lender. And that, that, was, that was tying me there, it was holding me there. But then my incredible grandparents stepped in and they offered to pay off that credit card debt so I could come back home. They covered the balance and the fees. And, and now in the bank's eyes, I was justified I was justified despite my irresponsible spending. Why? Because the debt had been paid, right? It had been paid in full by someone else. And I went from owing a debt that I couldn't pay to being free. And I want you to know that that, that act of kindness on my grandparents' behalf, it, it, it changed my life. It changed my life in the way that I view money financially. In some ways, it changed my life spiritually because it taught me to see uh, that money is a gift that we are to steward for God's glory and not selfishly. And so I want to come back to that question. What I want you to think as we, as we look a little bit more into today's passage in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, what are the results of justification? If we were to read through that, what you would see there, because of that justification, we see in verse 1, we have peace with God through Jesus. We have access to the Father by faith. We, are, uh, we, we have grace, His grace in which we stand. We have the ability to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have the ability to rejoice in sufferings, sufferings which produce endurance, uh, endurance which produces character, it says, it says in verse 4. And that character gives us hope which won't put us to shame. Why? Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. All of this is the result of justification. So coming back to that question, how can we go from guilty in our sin to God declaring us not guilty of our sin? Well, we know it's through Jesus. Romans 4, 25 said that very clearly. But through what specific means, on what basis can God declare a person not guilty of their sins? Verses 1 through 5 that we just looked at are the results of today's passage. And I want you to look with me at verses 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Follow along as I read here. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Amen? This passage tells us uh, three things about the human condition, and I'll go through these pretty quick. Number one, it tells us that we are weak. We saw that in verse six. This word means inability. That means that something that one is completely incapable of doing, okay? We're weak, we're powerless, completely incapable of bringing ourselves back to God. And that's what makes the gospel such good news. Verse 6 tells us that we're ungodly. That's godless or impious. The commentator Daniel Doriani notes here that the godless also forget, ignore, or scorn the God of Scripture. They have no fear of a God who is too, too distant to call anyone to account. We also see in this passage in verse number 8 that we're also sinners. Verse 8, Doriani notes here that sinners can act deliberately, mindlessly, or habitually. Sin violates God's law. It offends God, desecrates his creation, and causes mankind to fall short of God's goals for him. And so that speaks to our weakness, right? As sinners, that speaks to our weakness. Sinning, uh, before we came to Christ, sinning was as natural for us as breathing, And even now that for Christians, for those of you who know Christ, for those of us who know Christ, we fall into sin regularly still, and it's only by his grace that we can stand. So these are the three characterizations that this passage gives us. We're weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners. Despite what some churches are telling people today from their pulpits that they're proclaiming loudly and proudly, they're saying, uh, you're worthy, you are good. You may make poor decisions, but deep down you've got a good heart. That's not biblical. That is not what the Bible says. I would contend that those things are as demonic as these Haitian voodoo practices that we're looking at because those things come from the same place. They come from hell and they all exalt the same master and that's Satan. The Bible calls us weak, ungodly sinners. Now, this passage, that if we stopped right there, that's bad news, but there's even much greater news. This passage shows us also Three things about God's response to the human condition. Verse 6, it tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. The same, note, the same verse makes note that Christ died for, for the ungodly. Number two, God demonstrates his love uh, for us, that Christ died for us. Verse number 8, those two things. God demonstrates his love or shows his love for us that although we were sinners... Christ died for us. So he shows, he demonstrates, he proves his love for us. Now I want you to notice that that, that verse, in, I mean that, that verb tense in verse number eight, God shows, that's present tense. It's not past tense. Because it's not, it's not uh, indicating that perhaps that, that love had run its course and has run out. No, it's present tense. God loves you today. God loves you today despite your sin. Jesus has gone to the cross. It is substitutionary. Christ died for us or in our place, dying a death that we deserve. He bore the wrath of God for our sin. Why? As Paul is going to talk about a little bit later in Romans 6.23, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can God offer us this free gift of life in Jesus? 1 Peter 3.18 notes this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, I want to bring your attention back to Giordani's story. Okay, Miss Beth, if we can go ahead and go to that next slide. When we arrive, uh, I told you that on Saturday he wasn't there, so his wife asked us to come back the next day on Sunday. We went to church that morning. And we make our way back over to uh, Giordani's property, again, which is out in the rural countryside of Haiti. And the man in the red hat on the left, that is Giordani. And so the man uh, right there, uh, second from the right, the bigger guy in the blue shirt, bald-headed guy, that's Jean Jean. That's our missionary partner in Haiti at UCI Haiti. And so we get there, Giordani comes out, and uh, I, I've picked up just enough Haitian Creole that I can understand that Jean-Jean is sharing the gospel with him, clearly, unapologetically, unashamedly, he's sharing the gospel with him. And Giordani is, is receiving this, and uh, he only has one objection. He says, if I give up voodoo, how am I going to make money for my family? And this is what Bob was talking about just a little bit earlier. 
And this, this was sort of my contribution to the conversation when I said, Giordani, do you believe that God can save your, your soul from hell for all of eternity? He said, yes, I do. I was like, then Giordani, how can you, if you can believe that God can do something so utterly impossible with man, how can you not believe that God could do something as simple as provide for your material need? And he said, I do believe that. I do believe that. And if we go to the next slide, Miss Beth, he lifts his hands up to heaven and he gives his life to Christ. Right there. Right there in that place. And so now, this man that you see right here, Giordani, this is a man who is now, because he, by faith, he is called on Jesus. He is justified by faith. Now Giordani has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he has access to the Father by faith. Now he stands in God's grace. Now Giordani has the ability to rejoice in his sufferings that will produce endurance and character and hope that won't put him to shame. And he's been given the Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit of God, what do you think that the Spirit of God prompts Giordani to do the moment that he says amen? Here's what happens. He says amen and he walks away. And we're all just kind of like looking at each other like, okay, what, what now? Here's what happens. Next slide, Miss Beth. You see the smile on that man's face in the picture on the left? He walks over to his voodoo worship house and he opens the door. And you see the gentleman in the, in the photo on the right, the man in the red shirt. This was a, a brother from the local church. I, I didn't catch his name. But anyway, he and Giordani, they know each other. They go into this worship house together with machetes and they begin to just hack the whole thing down. I mean, they are just chopping this thing to pieces. And you see them carrying this kind of cross beam out right here on the picture on the right. They're, they're pulling this out. It's wrapped in that rope. Bob talked about this. That's the rope where there were knots tied in it. Every one of those knots represented uh, uh, somebody who had paid Giordani to do something, to conjure up these demons to do something. Okay, And that, that rope was thick, wrapped around that cross beam. But do you see the smile on that man's face? That is a man who's been changed by Jesus. Next slide, Miss Beth. And so they begin to tear all of this stuff out of this worship house. They're, and they're making this massive pile right outside. I mean, in the picture on the left, you see Giordani. That was kind of the center post of the worship altar, if you will. He, he pulls that out, takes it, piles it up. This little boy right here that you see uh, carrying the bottles out, that was one of Giordani's sons. They were so excited. I walked after, after Giordani started tearing this stuff out, this little boy was standing off to the side and he was just dancing. And I walked up to him and I said, I said, I said, why are you dancing? Why are you so happy? He said, because my dad is giving all this up because his life has changed. And, and so he begins to help us. He was, he was unafraid. He went in there and he just started carrying stuff out and piling it on the, on the pile that you see there. Let's go to the next slide, Miss Beth. They pile it up. And then the picture on the right is what happens after they finish tearing everything out of the inside. Then Giordani walks over to his, his voodoo house and he tears the door off. And that's just the first of him actually tearing the entire structure down. Let's go to the next slide. He begins to break the walls, uh, break the walls down after he's torn everything out. And I turn to Jean-Jean and I say, Jean-Jean, is this something that we can help him do? He said, have at it. And so you see there, there there's me and there's Bob. Um, one of the other guys that was there with us in, in the white shirt, his name was Mark. And uh, we just started to tear this thing down, tear posts out until you get to the bottom right there where we got to the point where we could just push the whole structure over um, onto its side. So we'll go to the next slide. Then they go into the house. He comes out with a couple of bottles and Giordani and Jean-Jean begin to pour gasoline all over both of them. And Giordani sets it on fire. This is what... This is what our God does. He saves sinners. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be redeemed. And Jordani was redeemed that day and all of his former life went up in flames and he was joyful about it. Let's go to the next slide, Miss Beth. There's a picture of me and Jordani as, that, as those fires are raging. You can see how far away we are from it. It was hot. It was, it, it was, it was hot. And so I, I, I want to ask you this morning, church, why, why do we do what we do? Why do we take so seriously 
what God has clearly called us to do in taking the gospel to all peoples of the world. You hear me talk about missions. You hear Pastor Brian stand right here almost every Sunday morning and talk about missions and why it's important. Why do we take it so seriously? This is why we take it seriously. Let's go to that last slide, Miss Beth. Uh, let's go one more. That was the result afterwards. But here's why. One more slide, Miss Beth, if you will. There we go. Romans 15, 21. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That is why we go to do what we do. So church, this morning, as, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask the, uh, the uh, worship band to come back up. I, I, I don't know everybody in here this morning, and so I don't want to presume to know that uh, where, where any of you are spiritually in your, in, your, uh, in your walk with Jesus, or if you even know Jesus. I do want to tell you this morning that what we've talked about very briefly, when Jesus, it says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if that's you here this morning, and you're like, I, I like Jordani, did not, do not know Christ, or like Jordani did, I don't know Christ. I, know about, I may know about him. I may have been to church a few times or I may have been to church a lot and I've read this book a lot and I know about Jesus, but I don't know if I necessarily know him. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I encourage you, come talk to me afterwards or one of our other elders or find somebody and ask, like, what, what does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to know Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Jesus, we lift your name high and we exalt you for the testimony this morning of Giordani's life. Lord, I pray that right now, wherever Jordani is today with his family, I pray that he is growing in his faith with you. I have no doubt that Jean Jean and the rest of the staff there at UCI are discipling him and leading him and grow, helping him grow in his faith. Lord, I pray that you continue to use us as a church to take the gospel to all peoples, to those who haven't heard, to the Jordanis and to the Natalies of the world. In all nations, Lord, would you equip us and empower us to do that for the glory of your name alone. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us be the glory, but to your name. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things and ask them in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.